Hello, Hooray for Monday listeners. My name is Jenna Fornell. I'm the Director of Teaching and Learning at Center for Inspired Teaching. And for the next few days, I'm stepping into Aletta's shoes to host the podcast. I'm looking forward to sharing the stories of some of the inspired teachers we've come to know through this work over the years in the hopes their stories intrigue you the way they have intrigued us. Today, you'll hear my interview with Lacey Hunter, a preschool teacher at the Inspired Teaching Demonstration School. Check out the links in the description for this podcast for the blog post referenced in the conversation and a delightful video in which she elaborates on the rotting pumpkin that captivated her class. Let's begin. Welcome. If you can share who you are and, and what you do. Absolutely. Good uh, Good morning. I'm Lacey Hunter. I teach preschool at the Inspired Teaching Demonstration Public Charter School and I was a resident through Center for Inspired Teaching back in 2016. That's great. Well, they're lucky to have you. I feel um, very lucky to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had the, the distinct pleasure during COVID to still have a couple of opportunities to connect with you at some of our um, institutes. And several months ago um, at an institute, you shared something that you do with your students that I was like kind of blown away by and um, asked you to write a piece for us about why you don't ask your children what their favorite color is. Um, Readers have been really intrigued by that piece. For those who haven't read it yet, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. I think um, we, many of us, especially if we're in education, we have a drive to get to know our students and have conversations with them. And um, an easy go-to thing is often to ask what your favorite color, what's your favorite animal? It's you know, we want, it comes from a a good place of wanting to connect with the kids. But I have just found as an adult, when I'm asked my favorite color, I think, well, my mind just goes to all different places of what color do I like for nail polish? What color do I like as a fall decorative scheme? I mean, there's, it's hard to just say that you have one favorite color and to assume that the children aren't as dynamic as we all are and their complex thoughts. So I stopped asking a favorite color and I try to phrase it what color do you love or what colors are you using in your art today or you know I see you're wearing purple tell me more about that um but I think it opens up conversation especially if our driver asking that is to get to know the children and to get them to open up and share with us it's there's a huge difference between asking a singular question that really narrows it down and another side of it is creating this big opportunity to get to know them through stories and and hear what they have to say um so that's sort of the the thinking behind it all Um, And it's sort of a, like a small piece of a much bigger idea that I've been playing a lot with, with just language and conversation with children. Wonderful. Well, I have a feeling this will probably spill into that. Um, (laughs) We, we have a phrase that we use to describe what inspired teachers do in their classrooms. And we say they teach students how to think, Mm -hmm. not what to think. Uh, In many ways, your abandoning of the favorite color question is a good example of this. So can you talk a little bit about what you see as the difference between teaching students how and what to think? Yeah, especially, um, so I'm in an early childhood classroom with three and four-year-olds. And so there's so many parts to establishing just our school routine, right? When school, I'm going to get there, right? I'm going to start out big and I'm going to get to your question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When we first start out, you know, the teachers are thinking about the environment and setting up a welcoming classroom. The children arrive and you're focusing so much on relationships and teaching some norms and and just establishing that just like baseline. You know, my kids, most of them haven't even been to daycare before because of the pandemic. So they've gone from being at home with families or grandparents or 
whatever to suddenly in this, this large group of people where they have to learn how to get in line for the first time or to wait their turn for a bathroom and a sink for the first time. There's all these, there's all these parts. And then as a teacher, you're thinking through lesson plans, you're thinking through how to plan so many parts. There's all of these just components that go into being an educator. And something that I've really landed on that I can hold on to that's consistent no matter what's happening in the chaos of a school year is how we speak to children and the language that we're using. And so in this idea of not teaching children what to think or you know, giving them information that then they're supposed to retain, we're really building their thinking skills, their critical thinking skills, pulling language out of them. And so my that thing I latch onto every day is just infusing all of my interactions with children with rich language of my own and open-ended questions that allow for them to just spill things out that then these interactions that become really dynamic with lots of back and forth, you're getting to know them, but you're also letting them grow and expand. So it's very different than like, I'm going to tell you now what we're going to do. This is the letter A and this is the sound it makes. It's like, no, we're just going to keep talking and making sure that we're always very intentional about the way we're speaking to children and making sure that you're creating so many opportunities for them to share what they're thinking and promote both critical thinking and language skills. I think it's so interesting that an approach you're taking to that is being intentional with language. Can you offer some examples of like when when you've engaged in that way and what you've seen what you've seen come from the students when you're giving them that kind of space to share their thought process with you? Sure. I think um, a really big part of <laughs> probably any classroom that I'm most familiar with early childhood is the ongoing conflict re resolution. Um, you know, this whole idea that we're trying to get them to successfully interact with peers. And it's a lot of tools that they don't have yet that they haven't needed to have yet. Um, negotiating space, negotiating materials and in a classroom of 22 students. So um, an example that comes up consistently all the time is during centers or free choice, whether the children are chosen to be at the table with the Play-Doh and the rollers and the cookie cutters, or they're in the dramatic play area, which right now in my classroom is a, an apple farm stand. Um, so, you know, let's say for example, two children both want the basket filled with the, the fruits and vegetable toys that we have instead of a teacher. I mean, a first adult reaction might be like, stop, don't fight over that. You take this one, you take this one. Like, great, I solved the problem. But if we slow down and help them see sort of the bigger picture. So I find my job is to, you know, go over, oh, Jenna, Lacey, I see you're both trying to grab this basket of fruits and vegetables. Let's just talk, oh, Jenna, I see your face. I see you look so disappointed. Lacey, I see your face, you look so frustrated. What can we say to help, you know, articulate what we want to your friend? I wanna use those apples. Can you try saying that? Like getting them to just slow down a situation. A lot of times you are giving them words to say, but letting them try it out and seeing how it works. You know, the beginning of the year is different than the middle or end of the school year after they've had this practice, but slowing it down to both see the emotions, see how they could solve a problem. What can we do next time? As you play through even just like a situation like that with sharing, it's amazing watching them so quickly resolve it. You know, their drive is to continue playing too. They don't want to be playing in a state of conflict. They want to be playing in, in harmony as well. So it doesn't even take that much more time than an adult saying like, stop, you take that one, you take that one, you need to share. It doesn't take much more time to get them to be the ones navigating that, but you're just supporting them and building those scaffolds around it. You know, then they see themselves as problem solvers. And then the next time they have this conflict, you can watch as a teacher and see them start to implement that language themselves and resolve it. And then 
you know, it's Jenna and Lacey in that situation. But then in another center, suddenly Jenna is with another friend and she's applying those same kinds of strategies or whatever it is. So it's just like one example with like the social emotional part, you know, going back to them sitting at a Play-Doh table and you are sitting there and you're just having open-ended conversations. You might have a, an ultimate goal of, oh, I think it would be really neat to introduce shape cookie cutters and get the children to start learning about shapes, but we're not, you know, I'm not going to sit with a triangle in a circle and so this is a triangle, let's count the sides. I mean, having just those out as sort of provocations and open-ended materials for them to use. Then while you're sitting there with them the whole time, you're asking these questions. What do you notice about that? Oh, I see you. And you just start narrating what they're playing. And you can just infuse those conversations with rich vocabulary and language and questions and start, you know, prompting them to repeat it back. But they're walking away from that experience, not feeling like I was just told that was a triangle. That means nothing to me. To walking away feeling like, they bonded with their teacher. They just created something. They were experts. They had, you know, this enriching, wonderful experience. Maybe some friends came in and joined them. But I think it builds that over the school year, when you keep combining all of those interactions together, it's so much more meaningful than this one single serve, like one and done lesson about like, what is a triangle? Let's have triangle cookie cutters out all the time and just see what they make with them as you talk about what the attributes of it is, you know? That sounds amazing and i would love to be in your class <laughs> anytime we love having extra adults yeah, well, and, and you answered my question um which was about the idea i think particularly with early childhood and particularly now when everybody's super anxious about learning loss and how do we make up for gaps and, and what's going to happen to these students who have been impacted by a pandemic for a couple of years there's mm -hmm. i feel this sense of urgency everywhere to like get the information in make sure they know what it is um and it sounds like when, I, when I'm hearing you talk that a lot of this is having confidence in the long term and seeing this as, as something that you're building over the course of the year, as opposed to what you might get from, from the immediate moment. Exactly. Yeah. What might you say to, I mean, I, I think some teachers are under pressure, though, that it's sort of like, well, do they know where are they in the scope and sequence right now? How are they doing sure. with their letter identification or their number identification at this point? What might you say to a teacher that's anxious and says, yeah, but it's already October. I need to make sure that they that they're on track to be able to know these things. I think that it's natural for the adults in, a, in an educational setting to worry about the, the playing catch up and making sure kids know, you know, those fun, the fundamentals. And I get that. I think it is having faith that if one is intentional in their learning environment of infusing each part of the day with those components and that you're consistent with it, that you just have to have faith that that, that is going to have a payoff. And it can be scary if, if it's new, if you're you know new to that kind of approach or that kind of thinking. For families, an example I offer to kind of offer them reassurance when they say, I'm worried that my kid doesn't know their ABCs, or I'm worried that my kid's not writing their name yet is to bring up like a read aloud. So every day in my classroom, we always do a set time of our read aloud that's in our schedule. And that doesn't count for the kids who pull out books in the morning and want us to sit with them and read our centers or at the end of the school day waiting to get picked up. So we have lots of book opportunities, but we always have one read aloud a day. And in that one read aloud, there's so many opportunities to introduce letter sound correspondence, to learn the features of the book, to listen to rhyme or alliteration or syllables, to have interactions where kids are clapping out words. But it's never, I rarely, if ever, present it like, all right, 
kiddos, today we're going to learn syllables. And this whole book, like we're not going to enjoy the story. We're just going to think about syllables. It's just fun. And it's a part of it because we're singing and clapping the whole time we're reading this story. And they don't necessarily know that that's what they're doing. But then a few weeks in, a few months in, suddenly we do have more of a formal lesson on syllables. And they all have that information already. You know, they've already been doing it without them knowing that they're doing it. And so the families get some reassurance in these kind of stories so that they know that it's on my radar as a teacher. And I know that these are skills they need to learn. And I'm just packaging them a little bit differently. You know, they go along with the trust. And by the time we're, you know, halfway through the year and we can showcase some of these skills and they can see the growth of their kids, then they're on board. No, that no, that makes so much sense. But it's also striking me as I listen to you talk about that learning process that it's grounded in how we learn as human beings. It's it's organic. Like I, if I'm if I'm anything that I'm learning, even even as an adult, happens that way. It builds on different bits of things that I've learned along the way that I then apply in another context. So I would imagine um, that as long as you can keep remembering that that's just a human process. That school isn't shouldn't be so foreign from how we learn in our in our lives outside of school. Exactly. But I think what you said, you know, with like the pressure, especially with older grades. How do you balance that? And like, you know, I'm sure that kind of like infusion theory, um, it, it doesn't catch for every single student. And again, I, I recognize that with three and four-year-olds, it's such a wide spectrum. I mean, I can have kids leave preschool not knowing how to write their name yet. And that still is considered completely 100% okay. Mm-hmm. In kindergarten, first grade, you can't really have kids start and leave the school. You're not all being caught up to some certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I certainly recognize that. And that's part of the reason I think I'm just so happy in, in preschool land because there's a lot of flexibility. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. This is very, uh, just as I had expected, a wonderful immersion in what it must be like to be in your class. But my last question is, um, what, what brings you joy as a teacher? Wow, so many things bring me joy as a teacher. Um, yeah, it's hard to just choose one thing. I think it's this, this sort of like complex recipe that there, there's no uh, there's no real limit to it. I mean, some days it's that I think that the day ends and it's like, wow, I just got to like sing and play and be messy with kids all day. Like, how how is this that I get to do that? Other days it's like I get to work with three year olds and adults. I love that part. Um, I get to spend a lot of time outside. I get to garden with my kids. <laughs> like, there there's so much. I think. I think the reflection part of it all though, and the no day being the same thing um, is probably what keeps me here that, you know, at the end of every school day, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have an amazing, you know, teaching team working with me that as we're cleaning up and putting things away and getting ready for the next day, we're just kind of going through the day talking about what happened with what kiddo, what happened with that kind of like lesson or that read aloud or those materials. And, oh, then we get so excited about what we're going to try again tomorrow. And and oh, I, you know, I know that so-and-so is really going to love this. And I heard so-and-so talking about the, the new puppy they got at home and we got this new book. We're going to read it. I'll make a connection. I mean, getting to do that part where you're planning and reflecting and refining and it makes every day feel new and exciting, even though a school year is very cyclical and, you know, you have the first six weeks every year and you have, you know, so there's a lot of things that repeat, which is comforting, but that opportunity to start fresh every single day and reflect on your practice and figure out how to make it better or different or more exciting and more accessible. I think that brings me the most like joy and fulfillment, but there's all the joy of just like singing and dancing and being goofy with kids all day. Like you can't, I always tell people I have the best job in the world. 
<laughs> it is wonderful if those are our are, are hallmarks for sure. But listening to you talk about how you work with your team, you're also doing the how rather than the what. You're you're not it would be easy, I imagine, or this is, I think, a perception sometimes of teaching of like, oh, well, once you've done it your first year, you just do the same thing over and over again. But listening to what you're describing, you challenge yourself to make every day new and to think not not tomorrow is going to be the letter C day, but to, to instead, how am I going to make these connections with what I've learned about the students today that are going to make tomorrow richer when I make those connections in, in what we learn together. The one thing that that's also coming through is that it doesn't mean that every day is just random. What are we going to do today? You have a no, goal, of course not. But you're also you're also you have a goal, but you're constantly refining your path towards it. Yes, yes. So I, let me clarify. There, we definitely plan out. We have unit plans, and we have, you know, mm -hmm. every part of the day truly is is planned and it's checked by our our coaches, or whatever. So it's not like we're just going in like, what do we do today? Yeah. Um, but there's so much flexibility in the, in the moment or, uh, you know, to not even just to like switch plans, but you know, there, there's 22, three and four year olds in a room. You, you really aren't doing whole group a whole lot. You're doing a lot of small groups and free choice and centers. And so if the, the spirit moves us one day to bring in a rotting pumpkin and have it on the table and the kids get to dissect it and figure that out as a small group at centers, it doesn't mean that the rest of the plans aren't happening in other parts of the room. So yes, we definitely still have structure and we still have have plans and goals and, and data that we record and um, and all of that. So there are some like tangible things that we do. But within that, there's a lot of flexibility to well to and also letting it sounds like part of it is letting both your own and your students' curiosity be part of your guide. Yeah. Well, Lacey, I so appreciate you talking with me today and um, wish you the best in the, the school year that you have ahead um, and am thankful for these insights into your classroom. And I'm looking forward to sharing um, the piece about why you don't ask your children what their favorite color is, along with all the other things that you've shared with us today. My pleasure. Well, we're a demonstration school, meaning we welcome visitors all the time. So please, anytime, come visit us at Inspired. This is Jenna again, and if you want to take Lacey up on that invitation to visit her classroom, reach out to the Inspired Teaching Demonstration School. You can find them online at inspiredteachingschool.org. We also encourage you to check out this week's digital issue of Hooray for Monday that includes four ways to shift instruction from what to think to how to think, as well as a link to a brand new booklet of 20 engaging and joyful ways to end the school day. And finally, are you struggling to connect with some of your students? Is your classroom culture not quite where you want it? Join us in November for our institutes focused on meeting the social and emotional need for mutual respect. Mutual respect is not a luxury. It's a genuine human need. And in this fun, innovative, and interactive professional learning experience, you'll develop concrete strategies for centering mutual respect in your practice through both classroom management and academic instruction. Our in-person session takes place on Saturday, November 5th and starts at 11.30 in the morning. We'll be meeting at the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. And if you're not able to join us in person, no worries. We have an online session happening Wednesday, November 9th. That starts at 7 p.m. And you can sign up for both of those on our website, inspiredteaching.org, where you can learn more. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. We hope you have a week filled with colorful language, curiosity, and joy.